Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. Thank you very much for listening today. Every other week, I interview chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders to discover their secrets behind the scenes. I want to know what compelled them to become a chef or a bartender. I want to learn everything about their creative process and discover the unknown ingredients that are finding their way in their drinks and dishes. Today is episode number four, and you can find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. Click on the episode page. Today on Flavors Unknown, my guest is Angel Teta from Atola in Portland. She is as well a lead whiskey guardian for Angel Envy. Angel will talk to us about the drinking scene in Portland. She's passionate about sous vide behind the bar. And stay tuned to discover some of the unfamiliar ingredients that she's using in her cocktails. Hi, Angel, and welcome to uh, Flavors Unknown. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. So how would you describe your job in 10 words? Well, I'd have to use 20 because I actually have two jobs. I work at Ataula as a bar manager. It's a Spanish place. So I would say I provide an exceptional guest experience utilizing the best that Spain has to offer. And then I also work for a company called Angels Envy. Uh, they do a port finished bourbon and I've been with them for about six years. And uh, with them, I think that I would say I have helped build what was once a small bourbon brand to international recognition. Or that's what I want to do. Okay, so explain to me what is Lead Whiskey Guardian for Angel Envy. I'm, I'm curious about this title. Yeah, um, well, Whiskey Guardian is what we call our brand ambassadors. Essentially, they're part-time bartenders or they work part-time for us. A lot of them are full-time bartenders and bar managers. And we didn't want to call them brand ambassador because we're more about family. So, you know, Whiskey Guardian was kind of the term we came up with internally to describe the, the people that work with us and spread kind of the good word of Angels Envy. And the lead guardian came about because we went from having like six Whiskey Guardians when we first launched in 2011 to now having 45 um, across the country as we expanded in markets. So I am more of a person, a senior person with the company who really enjoys what I do. So I, they promoted me to basically like train the new guardians and help them set up events and, you know, see what events should look like and, and develop relationships with people all over their markets. Can you talk to us about the Angel Envy yearly initiative called Hashtag Toast the Trees? It's actually our biggest promotional push of the year. It's for a good cause. We plant one tree in the Daniel Boone National Forest for every hashtag that we get on a social media platform like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So you just post Angels Envy cocktail or the bottle or you know that on your social media and you hashtag toast the trees. And then we plant one uh, white American oak. We plant in April. Last year, we planted over 12,000 trees. This year, we're looking to push that to 20,000 trees to just kind of, you know, we take a lot of white oak for our barrels to age our whiskey. So it's just kind of like giving back. Oh, that's fantastic. So I think that we have go to uh, Instagram and hashtag toast the trees. Yes. 
Did you uh, develop a special cocktail this year with Angel Envy for this initiative? Yeah, actually, I have one running at Atawla for the month. It's a, it's a spritz, essentially. Angel's Envy bourbon, Aperol, uh, fresh pressed watermelon, a little citric acid, kava, and soda water. Served in a wine glass with uh, edible flowers and compressed watermelon. So we just talked about one side of your job or one of your jobs and the other one is being the bartender at uh, Atola. So can you uh, talk to us about what is Atola and the menu that you have there? Yeah, um, Atola is um, it's a Catalan Spanish uh, restaurant. Our chef is from Barcelona. So we focus on tapas and little snacks for Picars and uh, paellas. The menu I have there basically covers Spanish wines. I work with a lot of sherries and vermouths because they go really well with the food. And they're also, you know, low ABV. So you can have more than one beverage um, and not get drunk, which is nice. They're refreshing. Some are spirit forward, but most of the menu is pretty refreshing. Sangria is a really popular thing. Of course, we have to have sangria. So I sous vide the bases for those. I normally do a seasonal and a, and a red. The red stays the same. So people have something consistent when they come back to visit because we actually get quite a few uh, regulars that don't actually live in Portland. They'll come from New York, you know, once a year and they always come in and have dinner and stuff. So it's nice that they have something consistent that they recognize. You know, it's like a familiarity. People love that in a restaurant. For the sangria, you mentioned that you are sous vide the base. Can you explain to us what do you mean by that? Um, essentially, I, um, I put, I weigh out ingredients and I combine them in a bag with the base is basically like a, a spirit. In this case, it's Spanish brandy for the red. So I put two bottles in a bag and then I add lemon peel, orange peel that we actually like because we prep them for service. So when we have them left over, we save them. So we're not throwing anything away. And then I use apple and pear because it's always in season, a couple other things, spices, and then I seal it and uh, drop it into an immersion circulator. So essentially, it comes out consistent every time because everything's weighed, it's the same temperature, and then it's the same cook time. So I can have a really consistent product at the end of the day. You mentioned uh, seasonal uh, sangria. So what is the, the current one or the one that you are doing you know, for the fall? Actually, yeah, I can talk about the fall one because the, the summer one's great, but it's a little you know refreshing. And Portland right now is looking a little bloomy. so. For the fall, I'll be doing a, a different Spanish brandy. Uh, Torres has a really nice finish infused with uh, probably going to do some fall spices like cinnamon, a little pink peppercorn. I basically roast apples, like make a kind of like a more, I don't know, almost baking spices forward base and use it with white wine. And then I normally top it with cava. So it's like it's like fall, but it's not like the, the red. It's different enough. People like white wine sangria too. I'll probably add some vermouth in there as well. I haven't, I haven't tweaked the recipe quite for this year, um, but in the past, that's what I've done. I'm working on it this week, actually. So do you have always like a, a white wine base and a red wine base or it uh, alternates? Um, yeah, the only time I use red wine for both seasonals is in the winter because, you know, it's cold here. So people don't necessarily want something on the rocks. The red sangria, because of the ingredients in it, you can drink it pretty much any time of the year. But in the winter, you don't necessarily want to drink white wine on, on ice. So I make like a mulled wine sangria. It's served in a wine glass. Um, it's topped with hot, like hot water from the espresso machine so that it's not necessarily hot, 
but you need to dilute it because it's a cocktail at the end of the day. So hot water provides the dilution. It kind of warms it up. And the base there is allspice, cinnamon, salt, pimentone. I just make it like really rich and I add in uh, Madeira as well. So it's red wine, Madeira, and then this very, very like rich and uh, wonderful, like warming from the inside base. And so that's, that's served not necessarily warm, but like a, a glass of wine and it's just kind of rich and delicious and heavier and it really, people love it in the winter. So where the inspiration come from for those uh, seasonal sangria? Um, I guess just kind of walking around Portland. I do a lot. I have a dog and we go on walkies like every morning. And I live in a neighborhood that has like wild artichokes growing and acorns for nochino that people make and pears and apples and peaches. And it's really easy to go to the market and be inspired here because of the produce. So seasonal is just that, what I get inspired by um, that's in season. Um, me and Chef, you know, have a great relationship. So he often tells me what's coming in so that I can prepare. Oh, you know, I did a persimmon one that was really cool last fall. I wonder if persimmons are ready yet. They have such a good high content of starch that they actually lend themselves quite nice to drinks. Anyways, so yeah, I just get inspired by what's around me and what's available. I never try to like force flavors. I just feel like they should come naturally. And living in Oregon, it's like something I can actually accomplish. Any inspiration uh, coming outside of the food or drinks? Definitely. Uh, like I said, like nature is just, you know, it's incredible here. There's just something growing all the time, even in the dead of winter. And I guess that's pretty much where I get my my inspiration because I've always been kind of connected with that. I grew up on the ocean, so I've always been outside and I'd go for lots of hikes and stuff. And I think those things mostly inspire me more than, you know, like marketing or, or social media or any of that stuff. So what compelled you uh, to become a bartender? I don't know. I've, I've been in the bar culture since I was a young kid. That sounds terrible, but it's just the truth. Like my mom op uh, owned a restaurant when I was little. Um, so that started the hospitality side of things. And then when I was a teenager, I worked in restaurants and, you know, all the like we hung out with like the 21 year old kids that also worked there. And I had a fake ID because there was like nothing to do in Daytona except drink and go to the beach. So like I wanted to be part of the cool crowd. So I went to the bars all the time. And that actually got me into the places and the bartenders and the owners were more like family, you know, and my friends, of course, because I'm an only child. So like I found a lot of camaraderie in it. And it was cool. It was like when where people went to see shows and to relax after work or, you know, complain about work and just like commiserate together. So I wanted to bring that hospitality to life through my work. I didn't really think that it was something I could do in like a respectable fashion forever because it is hard work and people kind of have their own opinions about what bartending is. So I went to college for English lit and for writing because uh, that was something I love to read and it's something that always interested me. And I, I figured out like I didn't, it wasn't very inspiring to me. I didn't want to be a teacher. I was going to go and get my master's so that I could do something besides that. But like I was really like floundering, like I had no idea what I was going to use that for. And the whole time I was doing that in college, I was still working in a bar. And then I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm really great at what I do. Like, why don't I just do this for the rest of my life? I don't need to prove anything to anybody else but myself. So I just continued with it. And I was looking for a place that wasn't Florida to expand my career. And so I visited a lot of cities and I just ended up visiting Portland on a whim and kind of fell in love and saw that people were respected. 
And I honestly didn't see a lot of girls behind the bar, which was weird because in Florida, it was mostly women for whatever reason, like sports bars and beach bars and stuff like that. So I, that kind of uh, motivated me as well to, to come here and kind of change the face that was behind the bar. So I'm guessing that uh, the, the customers in Oregon are quite different from the one in Florida. So how would you, would you describe uh, the drink scene in Portland? Honestly, it's generally the trend-setting market right next to New York and LA now too is, is coming up. A lot of the techniques that bartenders across the country that they use came from Portland. Jeff Morgenthaler is a really influential person. You know, he started bartending in Eugene and then moved up here and opened a hotel bar that's now pretty famous. He, he publishes, he's like published in Playboy. He was on like Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel for his techniques. Like he does barrel aging things that people had never done. He had a really honest blog that like helped people kind of learn and, and see new techniques. And a lot of people have followed in his footsteps, I would say. It's, you know, like when the bars raise that high, you don't want to fall too far below it. So you keep up with the, everything to, you know, put yourself on the same platform. At least I try. But yeah, in, in Portland, people are more open, I guess, and to ingredients and, and weird kind of things. And we get a lot of cool products uh, that come to the market because people know that Portland is accepting of you know, a strange like Malort or like um, a weird Aquavit, like we'll actually use it in, in cocktail applications instead of just pouring it neat. The bar scene in Florida, I think, has probably changed quite a bit since I've moved because I've been here for 12 years and customers and consumers just seem more educated about cocktails and drinks these days than they ever have been. So I'm sure it's changed for the better. But as far as Portland goes, I just can't really beat it. You know, it's like somehow a small town with like big city sort of ideals or opportunities. You said before that when you moved there, that there was not too many women behind the bar. Uh, it might have changed now. What would be your tips, you know, for a young girl that would want to start, you know, in the business? Answer emails. I know that sounds really silly, but I can't tell you how many opportunities I've gotten that other people haven't because I've gotten back to people in a responsible amount of time. Just taking, trying to take every opportunity that comes your way seriously. Also, like, I think reach out to your idols or like the people you want, like the people you see and respect and look up to, because there's so much social media opportunity, right? You know, like you can see what, what someone's doing in Greece or in Italy and in New York. And if you're like trying to model your career on somebody else's or like their techniques or you really respect what they do or you love the bar that they own, like email them, you know, direct message them. Like, it's so easy. And the worst thing they can say is like, ignore you or say no, you know, and then you're in the same position you were before, like whatever, no harm, no foul. Also be respectful, be gracious and kind. I can't tell you how many times I've heard horror stories of like people sitting down at a bar that they're, that they work, I mean, even working and, you know, say something sort of derogatory. And the person that, you know, they're saying is like really like their best friends, like right next to them. It's just a, it's a very small community. It seems large, but we all know each other. We all hang out. We all support each other. So be a, a good human, like to, I feel like to get good things out of that. So if you start from a good place and a, an honest place, uh, I think that your career will, will follow suit. And who are the bartenders that you look up to? Oh, um, my, I have lots, you know, some of the bartenders that I really like aren't 
on social media. Like, uh, but there, there are a few that I really, I really love. There's this guy, Chris in Toronto that bartends at this place called pharmacy bar. And like, it's just, it's just great. Like, it's just a wonderful place to go sit. And like, it's not, you know, fancy and it's dark and it's often the after hours bar. Like, and every time I go to Toronto, I go there and I always like get this really warm, wonderful, fuzzy feeling when I sit, sit across his bar. You'd probably hate that I said that too. Ivy Mix is a big mentor to me and Lynette. They both live in New York. They started Speedrack. And, you know, the things I learned from them, like still every day, you know, I build cocktails for speed and efficiency and they helped like lay that groundwork. I was always fast, but they made me better. And what they do, you know, it's, it's all for charity. And they work so incredibly hard and they do it with a smile because they genuinely enjoy what they do. Uh, there's a guy here that lives here, Tommy. I kind of feel like he's my mentor, even though we never, we don't really see each other, but he's always been there. Like when I first moved here, um, he kind of like showed me the ropes in a way that was like really nice and approachable. And every time I had like a weird question about an ingredient or something, and I didn't want to look sound stupid or like, I, I don't want to like ask that because you just feel dumb. He never made me feel that way. And he helped me actually with my Angel's Emmy job too, because he works for spirits independently sometimes. And I was like, just trying to navigate that world. Uh, the corporate world's a lot different, you know? He helped me with that too, and I respect him for that. When we talk to a bartender, we often hear the expression layering a cocktail. So what does that mean? Layering a cocktail. I guess you're just building, building flavors. But <laughs> I, would, I would think it's just the way that you build it. You start, when I say base, that's, you know, that's where your starting point. So that's your that's your predominant spirit in the cocktail. So you decide you want to do something with tequila and then you think, okay, do I want this to go spirit forward or do I want this to go more refreshing? And you kind of go from there. So I, I think layering is probably that it's just like layering flavors like you would, you know, in a dish, like you start with your protein, you figure out the spices, you figure out the bright quality, you figure out the salt quality, you figure out the sweet for me, um, I've learned this from Jose as well at at Ataula. You want every you want it to hit every part on your palate, not overwhelming it or putting too many things in, but you want it to be a full a full mouthfeel. You want it to have a little bit of that acid, have a little bit of brightness, have a little just a hint of sweet without being cloying, and a little salt quality. You know, because if you hit all the flavor points. People are like, this is the thing like that. If it fulfills all of those points, they're going to want another one. They're going to remember it. So is it the thing, as you said, that you hit when you develop the, the drink called the Caprijito cocktail? Uh, yeah. So the Caprijito essentially came from the fact that like everybody asked when we first opened, people were like asking for a ton of mojitos for whatever reason. And mojitos are fine. They're, they're, they're a great drink. I mean, it's a classic for a reason, a new classic, I guess you would call it. I wanted it to be different. You know, I wanted it to, to be a signature to a tawala. So I thought, and I wanted it to be fast as well. I needed it to be a quick pickup because essentially like tapas hit the table pretty fast and I don't want to be there like muddling mint and, you know, doing all these things, laborious things that I could just get something out a little quicker that was equally as good. Basically, I like I do with the sangria base, I sous vide uh, mint leaves, uh, 100 grams of picked mint leaves, fresh, four stalks of lemongrass, some palm sugar, 
one bottle of cachaça and one bottle of rum because I wanted it to have that. Cachaça brings like a really nice grassy note to the cocktail, which uh, plays with the lemongrass super nicely. And then I sous vide that and I strain it off. So you already have the mint like essentially, you know, infused into the cocktail. So for prepping it, I just, instead of muddling it, I just smack mint leaves because it releases all the oils without making it bitter. Drop those in the glass, shake that base that I made with the rum and cachaça and mint and strain it and then add soda water and top it with a mint bouquet on top. It's quick, it's easy, it's pretty. It's always got this really nice, like vibrant green color. It's cool because when one goes out, you know, it's like we call it the, the mojito effect. People see it and they want it and then it creates more orders. So that's kind of cool. Do you still have in it on the menu? Yeah, actually, it's one of like, there's like four cocktails. I probably well, not including sangria. I probably can't ever take off or change because people just like really, really, really love them. And I want to give them what they love. You know, I can have my fun with specials or like seasonal stuff. But I feel like sometimes when cocktail bars maybe can get away with like, you know, completely redoing the entire menu because people go in there looking for new ideas and looking for new tastes. And they know they can probably get their old favorite because they have those things behind the bar still. But with the restaurant in particular that I work in, there's a lot of like crazy ingredients and crazy preparation styles and, and things like that. So people, I have a few things that I just won't take off because it's like comforting. You know, they're like, oh, at least that thing's still here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm guessing that uh, sous vide is going to be the new piece of equipment behind the bar that is your favorite, correct? Yeah, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> it sounds bougie because, and you know, because cocktails, you can make them with basically, you can make a great cocktail with not a lot of tools. But this, like having a cryovac and an immersion circulator, like makes my life incredibly easy. The consistency factor that it brings to my program is like unparalleled because everything's weighed, everything cooks at the same temperature. You don't have to stand over a stove to make syrups. It's really like prepping is so, so easy. I can prep while I'm bartending, like not even having to worry about it. And um, it also like helps with waste a lot because like if the kitchen gets like peaches in and they can't, you know, like the one side bruised or whatever. So they're using like different parts of the peaches instead of throwing it away. I take all that scrap and I just match it with sugar and I make a syrup with pineapples We use the fruit for the garnish and then I use the core and the skins for, you know, a syrup. Like it's, and it just goes into a bag. Like it's incredibly easy. It makes my life great. And I don't know how I'll bartend without one. I, I mean, I'm sure I'll find a way, but <laughs> if I had a choice, that would be the thing I would buy, like my big spend. So beside the syrups, what else are you making with um, the sous vide? Are you making tinctures as well or? Yeah, actually I am. Yeah. That's a, Because like with nutmeg and cinnamon, it's hard to put it in a syrup because I just don't feel like you get the, like the pizzazz, you know what I mean? Like it's not bright. It's not like intense. And so you lose it in a cocktail, especially with like stronger bases, like bourbons or rice. So I like to, and like with peppers, I make a habanero tincture because habaneros are different and I can't taste every habanero before I make it into a syrup or, you know what I mean? I'm going to blow my palate out. So what I do is just make extracts, essentially just Everclear. And then like with the habanero tincture, it's just fresh habaneros, Everclear, seal it, drop it for an hour. And then I taste the tincture. So then I know how spicy that is. So I know how many drops to put in the cocktail so that no one's like, oh, this is so hot or they don't even taste it. With nutmeg, I like the taste of nutmeg, but it's really hard to extract flavor from it because it's this hard little, you know, spice. 
So I crush those, put them in with the Everclear, and then essentially let's make like a tincture with that. So you can add, you can get like really beautiful autumn flavors with just a couple drops. Same thing with cinnamon. What are the unique and unfamiliar ingredients that are finding their way in your menu lately? Those two would definitely be, you know, I don't know how many people have like nutmeg oil hanging around behind their bar. Saline is a big thing that I love. We get really great salt here in Oregon from Jacobson's. So I make a little saline solution to add to bitter things. That's kind of more getting more common, which I love because a Negroni with a bit of saline in it is just perfect. Citric acid, I actually use a lot, which sounds bad, like it's an artificial ingredient, but it's not. It's just acid derived from citrus. So I break it down the same way as I do my saline solution. And it's cool because sometimes a spirit forward cocktail needs that little bit of citrus to like really like elevate it but you don't want to put juice in it. You know what I mean? You want it to like look clear. You want it to look nice on a big cube or like really sexy in a martini glass. So if you put the citric acid in there, you can replace essentially that juice with citric. And it's it's really easy to make it accurate because it's again by a dropper. And actually I just, I got some manzanilla in a key keg from Spain. So it's a really crazy keg. It's like a bag inside of a plastic barrel thing. And I don't know why, but I was like, I don't want to put this on tap. I think I'm just going to, like, I, I just wanted to carbonate it for whatever reason. So I bought a corning keg and a carbonator and I just put the manzanilla in the keg and carbonated it and it came out and I was not sure if it was going to work at all. And I was really hoping I didn't waste all this manzanilla because I hate that. And it came out great. And so I have this like really nice, like softly, almost like a chocolina bubble in this manzanilla and it's like the perfect thing with ham which we always have and a really nice pairing with our mini rosellat as well which is like a little toasted fideo like a noodle dish it's almost like a paella but it's smaller and it's just like it just really like there's a few things on the menu it just like it's perfect and people's eyes light up when they try it which makes me really happy can you explain to us what the manzanilla is Oh yeah, manzanilla is um it's a sherry. It's it's similar so fino I guess is you know it's a fino sherry but it's manzanilla because it comes from San Lucar a very small little place right by the ocean. So the breezes that come in or the sea like they come in through the bodega they give it this like crisp clean saline almost quality but it's not salty. It's very dry. And manzanilla people think it's you know like apples but it's actually chamomile. So if you like, that's what it is in uh, in Spanish. So like, if you try it, knowing that it's cool, you can pick up like these floral, dry, like um, tea notes almost. It's really cool. So that's manzanilla. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Tell us why like bitters and sherry, you know, are so instrumental to you. For me, bitters are like the salt and pepper of the bartending world. You know, like you need a little bit often in cocktails a small thing as far as volume goes but really impactful just ties the room together you know is what i like to say and you can get so much flavor in such a small package as well you know i do like a grapefruit cordial gin and tonic thing and it's good but if you throw some grapefruit bitters in there it's fantastic a manhattan wouldn't be a manhattan without angostura it's just it's something that i like to add in because it really does like take it to that next level And that's what people come in to buy. You know, you can make a, you can make a drink at home. What we do is, is kind of like, that's why you come back again and again to have our drinks. Sherry is just instrumental to Spanish culture. 
And for me, it's one of the most versatile wine categories in the whole world. It can bring salinity, it can bring body, it can bring sweetness, it can bring dry. It's super cost effective. It's, um, you know, it's not, the, it's not an expensive wine, which is nice and easy to kind of incorporate into your program. I have like a daiquiri that I do. A, my base is instead of rum, it's actually, you know, more sherry than it is rum. So, you know, I can like get away with charging like less money because I want people to come in and have fun and not have to pay $15 for a daiquiri or $14. So this like makes, it's not only delicious, but it's also, you know, cost effective and being lower ABV than, you know, vodka or gin or anything like that. It's like a third of the, of the um, alcohol content. Again, you can really like lengthen the cocktail and then people are having more than just one and they're not getting super drunk, which is great. So if I would like to experiment um, with sherry in a cocktail, uh, which one would you recommend to start with? Um, I would go like, a, because with the dry uh, sherries, it's hard to, it's, it takes a bit of, takes a bit of work to balance out and not get like lost because phenos are very light and delicate. I would start with like an Amontillado or like a medium dry Amontillado. Uh, one of my favorites is Contrabandista. It's um, it's a Valdespino wine, and it basically has a, a little bit of sweet wine added to Amontillado. PX are, I think they're using cream. But anyways, so it's it's mostly nutty, but then it has like this kind of softer, chocolatey almost finish. And it's great in cocktails, especially with brown spirits and like rums and, and bourbons. There's another passion of mine in cocktail is the old fashioned. Oh, is that your favorite? Yeah, it's one of my favorite. Yes, I have many, but it's one of them. Mm -hmm. What can an amateur bartender like I am prepare at home a unique and new old fashioned? What kind of twist would you do? You know, I, I'd say like go to your local, I guess like you can buy it on Amazon, but you try different bitters, you know, and try different spirits. Like what do you normally gravitate to like when you order an old fashioned? I will use a bourbon like 1792 Angel Envy, Wood for the Reserve, Bullet, and I will use Angostura Bitter. So try a rum old fashioned, you know, next time you go out. There's beautiful age rums that like you add a couple bitters to them and you do like a flamed, you could do like a flamed orange twist on top and it just like, it's delicious. Like people, the old fashioned is of course, you know, always going to be a whiskey cocktail, but it can be a lot more. Um, I do a mezcal old fashioned for a guy who always comes in. It's not on the menu, never has been, but I always remember. And I'm like, okay, what's good with mezcal agave? You know, that's not, that's going to be the sweetener because it what grows together, goes together kind of thing. And then I put a little salt in it um, because, you know, the agave is a little sweet. And then I add um, these mole bitters instead of like regular Angostura. And then I, I add a little orange bitters to, to pick it up um, on the acid side. And then I do a, a flamed orange peel or whatever. So that's like lends the smokiness of the mezcal. And now you have a mezcal old fashioned that's like really cool. I think that you could also like add instead of just doing sugar. I mean, you can always do different sugars. That's a, that's a whole another thing. You can do demerara, you can do brown sugar, you could do palm sugar. It'll give you like a nuttiness almost, but you can also use just like buy smaller bottles of Amaro's or Benedictine, like we call them modifiers. So you can just add a bar spoon of that and a bar spoon of whatever sugar you choose. So, you know, I like a Maranonino that really like changes flavors and it, it just a bar spoon. It really influences the cocktail. Benedictine's a great one. You could add dry curacao to like a bourbon old fashioned. 
and then just a, a bar spoon of that and a bar spoon of, of the sugar, a little bit of orange bitters, and you've got a whole new like taste profile. Wow, thank you. I, I guess I have a whole palette now. <laughs> I think that I'm going to try the one with the mezcal because that's one of another favorite uh, spirit of mine. The molly bitter sounds very uh, tempting. (laughs) So it's almost the end uh, of the podcast here. So I would like to finish uh, with a series of rapid fire questions. So uh, where do you go to enjoy a drink when you are not behind the bar? I really like Expatriate. They always have a great cocktail and the room is just beautiful. Are you coffee or tea? Coffee. So what are the best places in Portland for coffee? Oh, that's not good. I just make one French press at my house. Good coffee is nice. I'm Proud Mary. I like Proud Mary a lot. The, they have so much pride in what they do. Like It is literally Proud Mary. It's a great place. When it comes to uh, cocktails, are you still or sparkling? Ooh, sparkling. And are you tasting menu or a la carte? I'm down for a tasting menu, but sometimes I just want what I want. And what is it? If it's a chef I trust tasting menu. (laughs) (laughs) Are you lemon or lime? Oh, I guess I'm lime. Yeah, I'm lime. And finally, are you tonic or soda? Oh, soda. Okay, thank you uh, very much, Angel. It was a pleasure to have you on uh, Flavors Unknown. Yeah, thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you for listening today. And if you have any comments, you are always more than welcome to just head to flavorsunknown.com and click on the contact page. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.